good morning, everybody. Hey, if you're out in the lobby, come on in. <laughs> good to see everybody today. Welcome to Restoration. Uh, some people are getting the memo, some people are not. But those of you in the room win. You guys are winners. A uh, couple things I wanted to share with you. If you're new, uh, welcome. Uh, we're especially glad you're here. And we just wanted to encourage you that uh, if, if you are new, uh, this is uh, you know, a great place to, to know people. But uh, we wanted to thank you for coming. And so out on our information table, we have a thank you for coming uh, little envelope for you. And we'd love for you to take it, uh, take it home with you. It's just a big thank you from us to you. A couple things I wanted to let you know about. Um, if you are new, if you've been around this place for a while, but you're, you're even feeling new, we would love to invite you to our home in a couple weeks. Um, August 28th, we're going to have lunch after church at our home, which is just a few blocks from here. And, and we just want to tell you the story about our church. And so it's a newcomer's lunch, and uh, there'll be some staff and leadership there just to get to know you. And uh, we want to just serve you lunch after church on August 28th. So if you're interested in that, um, on your connection card, uh, you can just sign up for that. And this is like, uh, if you've been in that last six months or since... Christmas, and you just want to get to know uh, what this place is about, sign up. And then a couple other things I wanted to let you know. Uh, one, um, for, for ladies, we've got a new study, a new hour-long uh, time in Scripture every Friday morning. Um, it's called Ladies' Hour, and, and that is on our website, information about that. Um, guys have two of these started. They're called 10-man tables, and, and this is a, a phenomenal way to get to know people. Uh, but it's even better way to, uh, to, to walk through some scripture together. And so I would encourage you to uh, just give it a shot. Come once. Uh, try it out. Make it, make it work in your schedule. Uh, we do a hard end at 7.30 in the morning so you can get to work. Some of you are night people. I get it. So, uh, but there's other small groups for the, you as well. So we're just so thankful you're here. Um, it seems a little sparse kind of right here. Um, just letting you know that. Um, and so would you stand up, say hi to someone next to you, and we're going to get started. We're excited to start a new series today. And so if you've just joined us, uh, you could just start off with us here today. We're, in, we're starting off in the letter, the first letter to the Thessalonians. And, and Paul wrote this. Um, this is one of the first actual documents of the New Testament. And we're going to get into that. So if you have a Bible... Uh, or if you would like one, there is a table in the back. We're a pretty relaxed place. You can get up and grab one. Um, last Sunday, um, Angela and I were not here. We were celebrating our 20th anniversary, which was really cool. And uh, we were out in Sonoma, uh, California. And uh, if you've never been, it's, uh, they grow a lot, of, a lot of grapes out there. Um, they do a lot of that. Um, and, and on Sunday morning... Uh, no, you would think that, oh, you're a pastor. You just go find a church to go to. Heck no. Um, I went to a winery, right? Right, Wayne? <laughs> right. And so, so what we did is we went to a tour um, of a winery, and it's a really cool place because it's not just a winery. It's not just a vineyard. It is this unbelievable ecosystem. I know it's going to get nerdy in here, but... But they took us on this tour, and, and it's a beautiful place. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. I'm not going to bore you with pictures, but um, it's one of the only 
biodynamic wineries in the world. And by biodynamic, it's a very nerdy way to say, it's way better than organic. Meaning there's no pesticides and no fertilizers and everything in the whole place works. I mean, they take all the, the, the water and they treat their own water and they reuse it. And I mean, it's just this unbelievable, there's sheep out there doing their thing, fertilizing, and there's, there's the right insects and the right birds and, and the right uh, planting scheme on the hillsides to make this wine happen. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And as they're telling this tour and they're showing us this tour, it's like, this is how creation's supposed to work. Like, this is how it's supposed to all work. It's not Monsanto grapes, you know? It's not, it's not all this stuff that's just engineered. I'm like, this is like the perfect, beautiful, this is how it's all supposed to happen. And we were just blown away. We were just in awe. And it was funny because I was thinking about that and I was thinking about, okay, we're about to start this this new series called People of the Future. And, and there's something to that for us. There's something to be said about how it's supposed to work, like how life is supposed to work, how relationships are supposed to work, how the community of God is supposed to work that we need to pay attention to. And this series that we're jumping into is this beautiful letter that Paul writes to a church in a very Greek part of the world very Roman, Greek part of the world. And so if you would like to join us in this series in the next number of weeks, uh, I would encourage you to read it. I would encourage you to read the first letter to the Thessalonians. I mean, in fact, that's kind of homework for you if you'd like. And I, I don't want you to do it just um, like a verse here and a verse there. I, I don't want you to do it chapter at a time. I want you to read the whole thing. And I, you're like, how, how long is this letter? Well, it's going to probably take you about 10 minutes. It's not very long, okay? We're going to stretch it out. We're going to really dig into it. But, but it, it, seriously, you could sit down and read this letter on your back porch, your front porch, wherever you do your reading, okay? And, and you can get it done in about 5 to 10 minutes. And I want to encourage you to do that in the next 36 hours. Because we're going to start, I'm just going to kind of give us an overview, an intro today, but... Um, it starts, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and, the, and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. 
For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Okay, so there's this guy. His name's Paul. You've probably heard of him. It's the middle of the first century. Uh, He's a middle-aged Jewish rabbi. turned follower of Jesus, and he's trekking all over the known world. He's he's all over the Roman Empire, and he's preaching the gospel. He's, He's announcing the news that Jesus of Nazareth is raised from the dead. And he uses the word gospel. He uses the word gospel as we, we look into this next week in, in the actual story told in Acts chapter 17. He uses the word gospel. He uses this idea of an announcement. And the word gospel is actually a very political word. And next week we'll talk about how political it was. But he uses this word and it's, and it's a, it's a big time word. It, it's, a, it's an announcement. It's a heralding. Okay. And whenever Rome was announcing and heralding uh, a new Caesar, uh, this Caesar would send out preachers, they would actually call them preachers, to preach a gospel, okay? And in this gospel was a message of good news to the people. So this is a very Greek, Roman thing. This is, this is not something Christians made up. The word gospel and the word preach are actually things that the Roman society would use to announce something. In fact, this is one of them. It says, Caesar Augustus has brought peace to the empire. He has ended the civil war. He has set into motion a new era of human history marked, marked by Pax Romana. Give him your allegiance. Give him your worship because Caesar is Lord. Does any of that sound familiar? And so this is a a very political announcement that Paul has made. We'll get into it next week. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's a little, it's a little intense. And so, Jesus is the true Lord. This is what Paul is saying. Paul arrived in Thessalonica with Timothy and Silas, and he's, he's saying, he's announcing Jesus is the true Lord, that he has defeated evil through his death and burial and resurrection, and that he has set into motion a new way of living, a new era of human history, a new kingdom of God on earth. That has been the message. And the kingdom of God in Paul's world, okay, was not sentimental, okay? It, it wasn't just warm, happy feelings. It was dangerous. It was provocative. It was a big deal. And, and, and so there's this background to this. Paul is on this journey, and, and we've got a map for this journey. I want to pop up on the screen. Paul, Paul is on this journey, and he's with, uh, he's with Silas and Timothy and, and they're, they're, this is their second missionary journey, and the red lines are kind of going up towards Thessalonica. Thessalonica is at the top of the screen to the left, um, and, and they, 
they were kind of wandering around, okay, and there's a, there a long season, about 400 miles, where they, they really didn't know what God was wanting to do. They didn't really know where the Spirit was sending them and, until Paul has a vision. He has a dream of, of the people across uh, the Aegean Sea there, and, and it's saying, hey, come, help us. And so they get to Troas, and, and this is all in the books of Acts, book of Acts, and they sail to Philippi, and then there's this, this amazing story about the people of Philippi, and then we can read the letter to the Philippians, okay? And then Paul goes to Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is an interesting city because this city was named after Alexander the Great's sister, Thessaloniki, and he named it for her. It became her place of, of, of living, and, and it was actually on a huge trade route. So big city, um, a, a lot of different cultures, and, and a lot of economics came through there. Big place to live. Paul goes there. He's there, some people think, for three weeks before he gets kicked out for preaching this gospel, for saying these things, okay? He gets kicked out. The, actually, the Jewish people kind of start this riot. We'll get into it next week. And they kick him out. And he leaves, okay? He leaves. And, and he, he wants to know how the people are doing, okay? He's, he's only known them for a short time. And so he sends Timothy back. And he sends Timothy back because Timothy's Greek. And he can kind of blend in, you know? And so Timothy goes back, kind of sneaks back into the city to find out how this little church is doing, how the, the Thessalonian church is doing. And, and then he comes back to meet up with Paul in Athens. And, and that's a long journey. I mean, now we have text message and cell phone. We could just be like, so how's it going over there? Fine. I mean, I'm sure Gabe and Brooke are going to be like, how are things going up at Restoration? Um, and they don't have to walk up here from Colorado Springs to find out. You know, they can just find out. And, and so, but there was this long communication. And so Timothy comes back and, and he's like, Paul, you, you, they're doing great. You know, really, they're doing great. And, and he tells them all these things that they're doing. And, and we're going to get into that here. And Paul's just so overwhelmed, so thankful that in his short little time there, something has happened. Something powerful is moving. And he's like, it has nothing to do with me. This is all about the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit coming in, in power and in, in deep conviction, it says. And that's what's happening here. I mean, there's no, there's, there's no formula. There's no church growth model. There's no fancy logos. They just, the Spirit is working. And this church is thriving. And he comes back, and Timothy tells him this, and so he, he writes this letter, and we're going to skip forward really quick to the end of the letter, and in chapter 5, verse 25, it says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. This is Paul writing, he says, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss, and we're going to practice this later, um, if you're some of you are awake, so you got that. So uh, we're, he says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he's, this letter is for everybody. This letter is meant for the whole community to hear the encouragement, the teaching that Paul is bringing. And it's for us to hear almost 2,000 years later. 
And so we are going to jump into a couple of the themes today. Like I said, this is just an overview of what's going to happen. But uh, verse uh, 5 of chapter 1, there's this beautiful theme here. It says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction that this good news about Jesus came with words and power. It it changed lives. It transformed uh, families. It did an amazing amount of work. And it says in verse 9 that it says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And it says they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. This, this idea that they just turned, that this is how they used to live, and then they completely turned and began to live a different direction. And then one of the critical lines in the beginning of this first chapter comes from verse 7. It says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, this huge, huge region of the world. It says, you became a model to all of them. I mean, this this is a model of how this should go. It says, the Lord's message rang out from you. I love the language of this. This, this announcement, this, it, it just rings out from the people. They can't, they're not, they're not like whispering it. They're not like, uh, uh, they're just going about their own business. But this just something is so amazing that it just rang out from them to all the people in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we, don't, we do not need even need to say anything about it. We, the conversations, I mean, that's, that's enough said is what Paul says. And so there's this overview here of the letter. I just want to give you really briefly, like all of you have committed already, I know, to read it in the next 36 hours. But now, chapter one's kind of an intro. It's this, this beautiful love that he has for the people, the encouragement for them. Chapter two and three are kind of an autobiography of his relationship with the people and, and kind of why he had to leave so quickly and why he hasn't come back yet. And he's just kind of setting that up. And then, and then he gets into three issues. Three issues that the church needs some conversation about. I mean, no church is perfect, right? No, no community gathering together um, under the lordship of Jesus is perfect. Why? Because we're human beings. And so he has three issues he wants to talk to him about. The first one is sexuality. Now, we're going to skip that because we have that nailed down here. And, right? I mean, we're good. Okay. A couple of you laughed. So we're actually going to do that. Um, laziness. There's a, there's a piece in this uh, uh, letter that's kind of hard to, to walk through. There's, there's about work and laziness. There's actually a, a Greco-Roman patron, uh, you know, thing going on here, client thing going on here that, that we're going to look at. And, and evidently, uh, some of the believers were actually kind of mooching off the system. And so Paul kind of gets after them. And then there's this theology of the future, of what's coming. How does it look? What does it mean? 
And then the final chapter is this random, there's these kind of random but really essential handholds on how to live as the people of God, how to, how to live in community. And, and so we're going to dive into all these things, okay? But really what I want to do is, it's kind of like a picture. You know, for instance, this picture, there's, there's a foreground, there's a background, there's, there's, I mean, you've probably taken a ton of pictures this summer, many of you on, on, on vacations and trips and, and, and maybe just other random things. And, and, and it's interesting, right, like that whole phrase of, of a picture tells a thousand words, right? It's like a thousand words in a picture. And, th- and there's like the foreground, there's the focus of the picture, which is usually a person or whatever, um, and, and, and they're smiling. And I always love the pictures with someone's like photobombing in the background and, and, and that kind of stuff. But then there's like this whole background to the picture, right? Now the foreground for the Thessalonians is this snapshot of what life was like in AD 50 when this letter was written. And this is the first uh, known, scholars believe this is the first actual uh, piece of, of the New Testament written. And you're like, well, wait a second, isn't it Matthew? No. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't go in chronological order, okay? In fact, Matthew's written probably about 10, 20 years later. Thessalonians is one of the first, first works we have in the New Testament written. And Paul's just kind of, I mean, it's so jumped up. I mean, it's like all over the place. It's not even really a well-written letter. I mean, compared to other things that Paul wrote, it's kind of all over the place. And so we got to give him some grace because this is one of his first ones, right? So, so we're going we're gonna to dive into the, the foreground of it. We're going to talk about what's happening, but the background is even better. There's a background to it. There's something, there's a theme that Paul is trying to get across. There's something that Paul wants us to know, that this entire letter is in view of the future. Evidently, how you think about the future changes how you live in the present. Evidently, whatever you think that's going to happen to you, for you, uh, through you in the future has everything to do with how you live now. And so Paul is trying to get across that there's, there's, there's their life right now and then there's the future, the coming kingdom of God. And that this coming kingdom of God is, is meant to heal and renew and to set right everything that is busted now. So the gospel, let's just lay it out there. The gospel is an announcement about something that has happened an event, but it's also something that will happen in the future, and it's something that is presently unfolding, okay? So particularly in America, and we've talked about this before, sometimes the gospel is minimized to one of these or, uh, or all of these things together. Uh, sometimes it's minimized as the minimum entrance requirements to getting into heaven, And we've talked about this before. And that is not the gospel. Sometimes the gospel has been laid out in terms of um, what we need to do morally to make God not angry with us. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. 
Some people lay out the gospel as good advice for how to live uh, well, how to, how to have a nice life, and that is not the gospel. See, the gospel's not good advice. It's good news. And, and it's, it's a past event that we talk about. We talk about this all the time. I mean, if you're around church, I mean, you know what that event is. It is around 31 AD, Jesus of Nazareth is, is tried, crucified, buried, and resurrected. It happened. Raised from the dead. Fulcrum event of human history. Now, in the first century, thought was that Pax Romana was the fulcrum event of human history. That everything hinged on Caesar. A few hundred years ago, some think that the turning point of human history was the rise of science and technology and this idea of Western liberal democracy. That that's where human history, the hinge is for human history. Paul believes it's the death and resurrection of Jesus. That this is the moment that God broke into human history to set it all right. But the gospel's not just about something that happened in the past, it's about something that will happen. The message of the Bible is not that God's going to throw the earth into a trash can one day and take all the Christians away into heaven. And if you've been led to believe that, it's not an accurate view of the end times. In fact, I might get some emails out of this one. But we're hoping that in the next number of weeks that you will be able to leave left behind behind. I'm going to help you do that. That is a theology that is literally only about 80 years old. And what Paul is saying in Thessalonians is something way better than you and me escaping hard times. And so we're going to get into this idea of the future and that, that there's, there's a radical bone-deep healing of the cosmos coming. And that death itself will die. Think about that. That justice and shalom will blanket the earth and where Jesus will rule over everything. That's this future announcement, okay? But there's something happening as we speak. Jesus announced to his disciples that the kingdom of, of God was at hand. He said, it's, it's here, it's near, it's, it's at hand, it's breaking in. And, and it turns out he actually uses the people of God to, to, to advance the kingdom of God. And that, that the Holy Spirit has this new way of being human, that he, the Holy Spirit teaches us what it looks like to live differently, to live fully human. A place where the last are first and the first are last. We talk about this all the time. It's, it's this following Jesus means that we're all on a race to the bottom, not the top. And so this new way of being human, this new way of seeing the world changes everything. It's messy. 
It's a messy but beautiful reality where men and women and Jews and Gentiles and uh, Palestinians and Israelis, country singers and me, all get along. We all like each other. There's something that, that is beautiful that is going to happen, but, but it's, it's going to take us living in, in this tension between the now and the not yet. So the whole big point of today is to get you to understand, to get you to believe, to get you to taste, okay? Kind of like that whole idea of the vineyard. There, there, Angela and I got to taste what this looks like if it actually all works well together. The whole idea of today is to get you to taste that the point of this, of being the church, is to understand that we are people of the future. That we live between Jesus coming and, you know, and, and, and you know, his return coming and, and what's happening now. That we live, live between the resurrection of Jesus and his second coming, that we live between the beginning and the climax, that we live in the middle of the chaos and the entropy and, and the disappointment that's happening right now. In the mess of it all, we are called to live in line with the world that is coming rather than the world that we are in. Does that make sense? That, that there's, a, there's a different way to see things. That we live and breathe and work and play and grieve in the midst of it. We are called to be an advanced sign of this future. That's our calling. Now, what's interesting is that Paul calls this church a model. He doesn't say, look how big you are. Look how many people are coming to your, your, your church. I mean, he, he doesn't say that. He said, he, he, they're not famous. He, he's saying you're healthy. He's like, you're a model. This is how it should go. And, and if you were to look at our lives together and, as a church, and, and we're not perfect, but, but there's a picture here of, of maybe how God wants us to be. And, and what does it look like to be people of the future? What does it look like for us to walk into this together, to ask these questions together? Well, I think there's quick five things that Paul says in this first thing as we wrap this up. First thing he says is people of the future are full of the Holy Spirit. And we did a sermon series here back in May um, on the Holy Spirit because we just want to investigate a little bit more. Okay, what, wh- how can we know, how can we experience the Holy Spirit more together in our lives? How can, how can our lives be a little bit more open to what the Spirit is doing? And, and it says here that in Thessalonians, it says these people were getting it. Their lives were full of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse five, it says, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Okay, this isn't Paul, not, not, not just words. Paul's like, I didn't say anything so cool and so amazing that you're like, well, I gotta go hear that guy again. It was the Holy Spirit. And then verse six, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. He's like, nah, it wasn't positive thinking. It wasn't a great therapist. It was the Holy Spirit working in you. And then later on in the book, there's this 
part that I can't wait to preach on that's uh, talking about not putting out the Spirit's fire in your life. There's a, there's a way that you can throw water, a wet blanket on what the Spirit is doing and, and not to do that. He kind of warns about that. Uh, second thing that people of the future are, we're, we're holy people. We're, we, we turn from idols and we follow the living God and there's, there's just a whole lot we're gonna talk about there with that in the coming weeks. And the, the third thing is that people of the future live and love in community. They, they actually take that step to know people. Listen, there are days, this is gonna sound crazy, Sometimes knowing and loving people hurts. So when they move away, it hurts. <laughs> Not to keep bringing the nips up, right? Uh, it, it's so, it hurts to know people so much and, and to love and to, you know, and, but here's the thing. Here's how you can t- insulate yourself from that. Don't get to know people. Don't. Someone wants to come over for dinner or you to come over for dinner, just say No. Just say no, because that'll help you avoid hurting one day. You know we all feel this. There is something in us that loves anonymity. We, we want to be anonymous. We want to stay in the, in, the, in the shadows a little bit. And some of us extroverts, we do it straight out in the open. We're pretty good at like surface level talk our way of not getting to know you very well. We have to fight anonymity. If you want to be a person of the future, if you, you've got you've to be intentional about living and loving in community, period. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Fourth thing people of the future do is we work hard for a kingdom-like world. We actually leverage our time, we leverage our lives in a way that makes our relationships, our jobs, our home life, and, and our passions leverage for the community, leverage for the kingdom. And the fifth thing that people of the future do is they wait and they hope for the return of Jesus there's two passages in uh, this letter that we're going to talk about that deal with the future, that deal with the end times, if you will. Both of them end with these lines. The first one is, therefore, encourage one another with these words. They're meant to be encouraging. They're meant to be uh, uplifting. They're meant to be about the community being um, encouraged. The second one says this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. They're meant to build us up. They're meant to be things that that push us towards the future, that push us towards what God is doing. What would it look like for us to be full of the Spirit, for us to be holy, for us to live and love in community, for us to work hard towards the kingdom? And what would it look like for us to wait and hope what would it look like to live as people of the future? Let me, let me ask you this. Where are you living today? Where are you living in line with the present rather than the future? What are you caught up in? 
What is, what is taking all of your uh, emotional energy? What is, what is taking all of your, your excitement? And is it something here? Is something present? Is your, is your life merely a mirror of Denver in 2016? If you were to stand in front, I mean, is that, is that what you're mirroring? What it looks like to live in Denver right now? Or is your life becoming more and more like a portal of what it looks like for the kingdom of God? I'm just going to admit, currently, right now, our country, this political season, this world global climate is, is, is for a lot of people, very fearful. Politicians use fear to get your vote. Terrorists use fear to control their enemy. There's a lot of fear being thrown around, and to be honest, often Christians fall into the temptation that they should just um, isolate themselves and withdraw. That's the temptation. And I'm just, news flash, um, neither one of these candidates... (laughs) I'm just making a political statement here. Do not hitch your wagon here. We're people of the future, not people of the current political climate, period. Today, I can hear Paul's letter to the Thessalonians with greater clarity, and, and, and we can read his words within the context that they were first delivered. Listen to this. It's to a persecuted church a persecuted people desperate for justice, freedom, life, and hope. That's what those letters for. It's about this promise of Christ's return, not, not merely as like, a, like, a, like an opiate, not, not like a, a getting through the day hope, okay? And it's not like, it's not supposed to be manipulative. It's not supposed to be a ploy to uh, create fearful converts, okay, that are just going to just barely escape hell, okay? That's not what this letter's about. The promise is that Jesus will stand once again on the soil of this earth as king. That's the promise. And there's this deep and powerful reminder that the king is coming back to right everything that is wrong, right? And that no evil will go unpunished, that no righteousness will go unrewarded. And Paul is saying to the people of Thessalonia, hold on, hold on. We read in Romans 4, Paul says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Listen to this, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. God has promised. And since God has promised and we believe God has the power to do what he has promised, we are people of the future. Amen?